Hi, and welcome to Friends of Brother Adam. My name is Dennis, and I'll be your host for this evening. This evening, like the last several episodes, we are going to be covering uh, some hives that you can choose from. Uh, and uh, tonight, we're actually going to be covering uh, two or three uh, different hives that are not used as much, but they're historical hives, and they are things that uh, some people decide that they want to try, so I thought I would include them. Uh, we're going to be talking about mud and clay hives, as well as skeps. And I get my uh, uh, information tonight from GallowayBeekeepers.com. Uh, they do a fair decent job at explaining some of these things, and what I will be doing is I'll be adding in some of my uh, experiences with these hives as we go along as well since I've tried both of these types of hives. Alright, so I need to get my glasses here because, well, can't see anything without them. So, um, before the Victorian era, bees were kept in straw skeps. Skeps are essentially upturned straw baskets under which bees form naturally curvy honeycomb. In this system, when the beekeeper collects the honey, the swarms of bees are killed or made homeless in the process. This means that each year the beekeeper needs to start again by collecting a new wild swarm. Or, alternatively, what they will do is, uh, before they harvest the, the honey, um, they will wait until the beehive naturally swarms out and they will catch the swarm in a tube-like net that is hung above the hive and draped over top of the hive and in that manner they when the bees leave the skep they um, leave with the old queen and bunch up at the top of the the tube net and uh, then the beekeeper will come along tie the bottom take it over to a new skep and mechanically swarm them. Um, also there were some uh, um, modifications to the skep that we'll be talking about a little bit later and uh, in doing some of these modifications they were able to uh, create more of a factory type situation where they could harvest the honey but not necessarily kill off the hive. The Victorian era saw the rise of amateur naturalists. Bees were cultivated by the middle class gentlemen not for honey but science. The most famous of these amateur beekeepers was Charles Darwin who kept a hive in his garden at Down House. Darwin marshaled his children into an army of laboratory assistants in order to track the flight paths of the bum of bumblebees. It is postulated that keeping bees helped Darwin formulate his theories of evolution. Nor ought we marvel at the contrivances in nature be not, as far as we can judge, absolutely perfect as in the case of the human eye or if some of them be abhorrent to our ideas of fitness, we need not marvel at the sting of the bee. When used against an enemy causing the bee's own death, at drones being produced in such great numbers for one single act, and being then slaughtered by their sterile sisters, 
at the astonishing waste of pollen by our fir trees, at the instinctive hatred of the queen bee for her own fertile daughters, Charles Darwin, The Origin of Species, 1859. Not only was... Uh, the uh, Victorian um, middle-class people involved in beekeeping with skeps, but also over in this country and in the United States, uh, every single ranch and farmhouse and house had a skep um, because they created raw products that were necessary for living. They created honey for sweetening and wax for uh, candles and they also had propolis which was used in tinnitures um, to heal people so um, every single place had one or two of these skeps and uh, it was one of those things that it was just taken for granted I guess so we're going to be talking about mud and clay hives first um, before we get too deep into skeps, because mud and clay hives eventually morphed into skeps. Um, so the mud hives, which are still used in Egypt, are long cylinders made of a mixture of unbaked mud, straw, and dung. So they make these tubes, um, and these tubes are uh, kind of octagon-shaped, and um, they crack open the tube um, along the horizontal and crack it open in half and you can open it up and scoop out the honey and access the, uh, the um, bees from that as well um, being able to make splits that way um, a lot of times though the clay tiles were the clay circular tiles uh, were also made and essentially they um, put wax on the top so that the you, you would give them an idea of where you wanted them to start making their combs and uh, they would start on one end and um, make their brood right away and then as they were marching from one end to the other end they would move their brood to the newer combs because the queen likes to lay on new combs and then the old combs were filled up with honey so literally you could take off one end of this clay tile and you could scoop out the honey as you needed it so and uh, they also had some other things here so let, let's get back and read uh, clay tiles were the customary home of domesticated bees in the eastern end of the mediterranean long cylinders of baked clay were used in ancient egypt the middle east and in some extent greece italy and malta they sometimes were used singly but more often they were stacked in rows and in great big piles uh, in order to create some shade for the ones on the bottom. Uh, beekeepers would smoke one end, the honey end, and uh, drive the bees out, and then they would scoop out the honey and uh, allow the bees to, to come back and, and start over again as far as their stores of honey. Um, and these uh, these type of um, 
these type of clay, you could almost call them clay jars. Um, they were, they had only one entrance and uh, they were usually, the entrance usually ended up on the um, brood side of things. So they would crawl in, go past the brood and store their honey at the back because the brood started marching towards the front door type of thing. And uh, I have attempted making um, this type of a, a beehive. Um, I used a blue sewer pipe, <laughs> um, mostly because coming up with uh, the uh, clay for a hive of this length, I wasn't able to to do, and uh, so I essentially just used what I had available. And uh, I noticed that um, the bees really needed to have um, the interior of the um, hive waxed um, because the, uh, the plastic they didn't like that at all. <laughs> they did not want to settle there on that plastic. And the other thing is um, I needed to, from the roof, um, put a string inside the or on top of the wax and have the string kind of recessed in that wax and uh, put some more wax over top of the string. And what that did was it allowed um, for the bees to have a, a place that they could um, start their uh, their combs and they seem to appreciate that a whole bunch <laughs> and uh, it worked out um, wasn't the best way of doing things and of course because they are not movable frames this particular hive is not inspectable um, you can make it so that it is more inspectable um, and the way that you do that is instead of using a string um, embedded in wax you are able to put um, it looks like a, a knitting hoop uh, or no not a knitting hoop a, a cross a cross stitching hoop uh, that you would use to cross stitch pictures on pieces of uh, cloth um, and the cross stitch hoop has to fit exactly inside of that um, that tube so you either have to make it specifically for that or you have to find something that that works and is available for that um, in that way you can reach in and dislodge that and then it can be inspectable if you have it cut along the uh, half shell clamshell type dealy, oh, you can open up the, the half of the tube and then you can pull out your frame and say, okay, I'm inspecting this frame. And it, you know, it, it works fairly well. Um, I, I enjoyed doing that. And uh, essentially what you end up with is something that looks like a Ross round. And uh, for those of you who haven't been in beekeeping for a long time, a Ross round is 
uh, round honeycomb that is in a piece of wood or a piece of plastic that is round and it is put into a square frame and uh, the bees fill it out and put honey into it and you're able to tap it out and then you put that Ross round into uh, um, either a, a cardboard and plastic box or you put it into an actual plastic box and you can sell those Ross rounds for uh, a pretty penny because they look very nice and they're a great way to present uh, honeycomb and, and allow people to eat honey in the honeycomb. So <laughs> um, by having it already in the hive in that manner and uh, not, um, not having to make a, a frame to put it in works really well and you're able to put the uh, rounds um, close enough together that they won't make any extra um, um, any extra comb there and uh, yeah <laughs> so it, it's it's fairly interesting and, and um, you're able to then take brood with uh, eggs and, and larvae on it and move it to a new tube and be able to do um, your beekeeping that way, you know, be able to make a blind split or something like that. So um, it is fairly modular and it is fairly nice. Um, and so in making it uh, inspectable, it makes it legal. And that's what we're after here, right? Anyways, so um, these tubes are, are fairly interesting. Uh, you can stack them up. Uh, the bees will remember where they're supposed to go to. It's always great to color the ends of the tubes different colors and put numbers or symbols on the tubes so that you can keep track of which tube is which. But essentially, <laughs> the bees remember and they go in and, and uh, do their business in their little living tube. So, and... Um, from that we'll move on to skeps because what they did is eventually they took a, a shorter tube set it up on its end and covered the top and that became a beehive and um, they were making these tubes out of uh, reeds and they would cover the inside and the outside with uh, um, a coating of horse manure, uh, little tiny bits of straw, and clay. And um, these eventually morphed into what we know as skeps. So going back to reading, skeps, which are baskets placed open end down, have been used for about 2,000 years. Initially they were made from wicker, or from um, reeds, and plastered with mud and dung but from the Middle Ages they were made of straw and in making them from straw um, the insides don't necessarily have to be plastered with dung and and clay and straw mixture um, it allows for the bees to be able to attach their 
combs to the inside and be able to uh, cover the inside with uh, propolis as well. <clears throat> in northern and western Europe, skeps were made out of coils of grass or straw. It is in its simplest form. There is a single entrance at the bottom of the skep. Again, there's no internal structure provided for the bees and the colony must produce its own honeycomb which is attached to the inside of the skep. Now I know what you're saying, that's not inspectable. <laughs> you're right. Skeps have two disadvantages. Beekeepers cannot inspect the comb for diseases and pests. And honey removal is not easy, often resulting from the destruction of the entire colony. To get the honey bee, or to get the honey, beekeepers either drove the bees out of the skep um, by the use of a bottom extension called a eek or a top extension called a cap and sought to create comb just with honey in it. Okay, so um, we jumped ahead a little too far. Um, what they would do is they would start a fire and then they would add rocks of sulfur to the fire and then they would put the scap over top of the sulfur and the sulfur would kill the bees and then they would sh just shake out the dead bees out of there and they scoop out the honey and crush the combs and make the you know get honey out of the combs let it sit for a few days and uh, the wax would be on top the honey's on the bottom and uh, that was the manner in which they did it so along the way they started realizing that they were killing the bees and they were getting rid of a major um, investment uh, both in time and energy and sometimes you had to buy your bees so also investment and money so what they started doing is they started putting holes in the top of the skep and then they put an extra basket on top of the uh, bottom basket and on the top basket, that's where the bees would start making their honey. Um, and uh, they would make their honey um, and usually not put any brood up top. And so then you would be able to take off the top basket, um, kind of shake it and bounce it a little bit, and then scoop out all the, the wax and honey and then put it back on and let the bees continue doing it and this really helped in two different ways um, the first way is you're not interrupting the nest down below uh, honey and propolis or honey excuse me and um, pollen there's the word <laughs> honey and pollen were also kept in the bottom so that they could be close to their brood and feed um, the uh, younger bees would go and feed off the honey and the pollen and then they would make their um, special secretions for the babies and it would have that all in that area it would be specially uh, the combs would kind of spiral in a very interesting little fashion and it would make it so that the air currents wouldn't go through um, and cool the uh, the babies as much so they were able to control that and it wasn't interrupted and you ended up having or the bees ended up having the ability to throw swarm cells um, and have the 
queens hatch. They were able to do a lot of things that before they weren't able to do because they were constantly being interrupted and and uh, and uh, killed or or scared out of their hive. And uh, for the um, beekeepers, that became a major plus because they no longer were getting rid of that resource um, and they weren't having to um, sort out which combs were brewed, which combs were honey. Um, during this time, it was fairly common for beekeepers to sell combs of brood that they had harvested um, and people would roast that and eat that uh, eat the brood as um, for protein and uh, so they would sell the honey they would sell the wax they would sell the brood um, and then occasionally they would uh, take a swarm and sell a swarm so bees became a fairly big business and uh, they were able because it, they were made out of straw um, they were able to kind of factory <laughs> um, handle this so they would throw the skeps into kind of a vise and squish it down a screw vise and a wood screw vise and they'd squish it down and it would squish out all the honey from the the hive and then they would open it back up put it back on and the bees would repair the wax and just keep going <clears throat> As of 1998, most U.S. states and Canadian provinces prohibited the use of skeps. Um, and it happened a long time before 1998. But in 1998, um, they had several uh, EPA things happen. And, and so, and uh, inspectors were more prevalent and that kind of stuff. So, um, but when they came over here to the United States and Canada, they went from skeps to bee gums. And we'll be talking about that in another podcast. But bee gums are essentially logs that, uh, because we had a lot of wooded area over here, they were able to hollow out logs and use bee gums instead of skeps. Because skeps had to be um, kept underneath a, a shelter and in order to keep them uh, a little more dry because otherwise your mixture of horse manure and clay and, and straw would be washed off in, in some of the more um, deluges, huge big dumps of rain. So um, they realized that since they had all this wood, they were able to transition from skeps to bee gums. So later on, skep designs included a smaller woven basket, a cap that we talked about before. Um, the cap acted as a crude super, allowing harvesting of some honey with less destruction of brood and bees, which we talked about. In England, such an extension piece consisting of a ring of about four or five coils of straw placed below a straw beehive to give extra room for brood rearing was called an eek, E-K-E, imp, I-M-P, or nadir, N-A-D-I-R. An eek was used to give just a bit of extra room, 
So they were adding it to the bottom like what they do with uh, Wore hives. Um, a nadir is a larger extension. When used, a full story was needed beneath. A person who made such woven beehives was called a skepper, a surname that still exists in Western countries. In England, the thickness of the coil of straw was controlled by using a ring of leather or a piece of cow's horn called a girth. Hmm. <laughs> and the coils of straw could be sewn together using strips of briar. Likeness of skeps can be found in paintings, carvings, old manuscripts. A skep is often used on signs as an indication of industry or the busy bee. In the late 18th century, more complex skeps appeared, which had wooden tops with holes in them over which a glass jars were placed. The comb was built in the glass jars which made it commercially attractive. So they would sell the, the jars with the lid on top. Um, but what you have to do when you place a jar on the top of a hive is you have to put it into darkness so that the bees don't freak out and they actually want to put uh, a comb on the inside. And a lot of times you have to put wax um, ribs on the inside of the jar so that they have a place to, to hold on to and start their combs from. So you can help them and tell them where you'd like the combs by where you put your wax. Um, and uh, so that was one of the first ways that they were able to no longer touch the comb, but sell the comb and the honey in jars to uh, in farmers markets and that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> skeps are neat. I've had several skeps, um, and again, the reason why skeps disappeared out of uh, popularity was because they were not inspectable, um, and because gums came along, wood gums came along, and uh, kind of supplanted them. So once again, just like I did with the uh, um, sewer pipe <laughs> beehive or or what was supposed to be a clay tube um, I utilized um, half circle uh, I guess they weren't really circle they're more oval um, um, pieces of wood that went from the ground up and made a half oval and I put different sizes of half ovals together so that it approximated the shape of the interior of the skep. And you can, what you can do is you can um, make a, a form that you put on the inside of the skep that has um, little braces so that you can put the, the half um, ovals in there and then put your hand on the bottom, turn it upside down, and set it down, and away you go. Um, and that made it inspectable. However, it usually made it so that they attached those things to the uh, internal holder. And so what I ended up doing is I ended up um, 
using the internal holder as um, a guide and then take and then putting the flat part of the uh, the the skep frames down and then taking the holder off and then what I found is if I took a sheet of canvas and put it over top of it and then put the skep over top of the sheet of canvas and had a a hole in the bottom for where the bees were to exit um, in the canvas as well as the skep then what that allowed was it allowed them to cover the inside of that with propolis and uh, um, wax and then on the frames themselves they would build the combs and they wouldn't build it on the on the um, they wouldn't build the combs on my um, canvas because it was being taken off quite regularly and for some reason they don't like putting it on the canvas because um, it kind of starts to drop and they they realize that it's not a firm area for them to attach their comb to so it just seems to work and they like it and they they do fairly decent inside of that now um, what some people do is they have um, some bars on the inside so um, they would make uh, two half hoops or, or ovals and um, set them down and then they would put um, through the skep they'd push through the skep some uh, dowels and, and that would sit on top of those frames and the bees would make their comb on the dowels and not on the frames and so they were able to control that and then when when and if they needed it inspected they would just go in and snap off, or on the outside they would snap off the dowels on the outside and just kind of pull it um, to one side so that it dropped out of the out of the skep material and then they would pull it from underneath and pull it so that it it essentially dropped down and off of the skep. Um, I didn't find the the stick method uh, very good for inspection because essentially you had to destroy the skep in order to be inspected and that just kind of um, defeats the purpose but what you're counting on is that the inspectors not going to show up <laughs> and you're never going to have to have it inspected but um, yeah so some people do put um, sticks through the skep and uh, it also helps with um, keeping the the you know if you're never going to be touching the bottom skep um, the the nesting area if you're never going to be touching that brood nesting area then um, throwing several sticks through um, the bees build their their comb around the stick and attach it to the stick and it makes it more of a stable thing so if you ever have to lift it off you can lift it off as one unit and even during the hottest periods of the summer you're able to pick it up and lift it and, and not drop your comb everywhere and kill a bunch of baby bees which <laughs> makes you feel horrible so that's that's one thing that they do <clears throat> um, that's similar to what they do in the perone hives um, in in the big huge perone uh, nest box they stick sticks through the the um, 
they, they drill holes and stick a, a dowel or a, a branch through there and the bees utilize that to secure some of the stuff uh, some of the comb together and, and, and keep it so that it is secure and keep it from falling down and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, and for bees, it really doesn't matter if uh, they have comb that falls down. Um, they, if you're not opening the, the, um, the nesting box, they essentially just let the bees hatch out on the uh, comb as it's laying there and uh, occasionally what will happen is as it falls down some of the comb kind of melts over and points some of the uh, cells downward and what that signifies to your bees is the downward cells are supposed to be queen cells so in the destruction of one of the combs a lot of times what happens is queen cells are made and then you end up having a swarm afterwards so it's very important to you to not have that happen because you don't want to necessarily lose half of your workforce out of your hive. So you want to be aware and make sure that that doesn't happen. <clears throat> Skeps are a great thing to try out. If you are looking for some um, extracurricular thing to do with bees, make yourself a skep and experiment with your skeps and uh, learn about the bees because with the skeps they will teach you a lot of the things that they need you to know things like uh, how they shape their their comb in order to shape the airflow in the hive how they put their brood at the bottom of the comb and allow the upper part being honey and pollen stores um, it is so interesting what they do and uh, you know it, it is such an aesthetically pleasing type of beehive um, they're just really great to have around uh, one of the other things that I love to do is I like to have two skeps so that if something happens with one of them you're able to take um, the oval frame from one and put it inside the other and uh, it allows for um, requeening to happen. So, you know, if you put in some uh, open larva um, and uh, eggs and larva into a hive that has lost its queen for one reason or another, um, you're able to switch it over and they're able to make a queen out of one of the younger three-day-old larva and away you go. <clears throat> Skeps have a different way of feeding the bees as well. If you're not able to open feed, and open feeding is good if you don't have tons of bees coming from somebody else's place to come and eat your food. <laughs> um, but open feeding also has the potential of causing illnesses to pass around in the bees. So open feeding, you know, you, you use it as a tool sometimes, but other times you'll want to feed inside the hive. And how do you feed inside a skep? Well, what they would do is they would make a clay bottom to the skep and uh, kind of like a clay plate. And in that clay plate, 
um, they would have the rim of the skep outlined so that the skep fit, fit right onto that rim and made a seal. And then about a quarter of an inch in from that rim, they would put a trench in that uh, clay plate and that trench would come around the circle and then it would come out to the front or to the side of the hive where um, um, you were able to pour in from the side of the hive or, or at the entrance, you're able to pour sugar water in and it would fill up the trench on the inside of the hive and then the bees would go down and line up like little pigs at a trough and slurp it all up and you were able to feed inside the hive. A rather ingenious way of doing it. Um, nowadays with some of our other hives we do the exact same thing. We have a jar that has a little uh, a little tray that you slide on the into the the hive and the jar has little holes in it and the bees come upside down and stick their proboscis their tongue into the hole and then drink the the nectar that way and sometimes you can get uh, pop bottle feeders that have little trays or little trenches and uh, you put the pop bottle, you, you put your sugar water into the pop bottle, turn it upside down so that it has some suction, develop some suction there, and then um, in the tray, um, the bees line up at the tray and, and, and drink it out. And as they drink the water out, um, it uh, drops it down to a level below the rim of the pop bottle, and it goes glug, 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 and... A little bit more comes out and in that way you're able to feed your bees as long as you have a flat surface to stick this on because if you don't have a flat surface it will leak out one side and it'll just keep uh, it'll just keep emptying until the bottles empty um, so but that's a way that we do it nowadays and isn't it funny they used to do it in the skeps as well um, <clears throat> And uh, in the skeps, they don't have the, the issue when they do that kind of feeding. They don't have the issue of the sun warming up the bottle and causing a lack or a disappearance of the suction. Um, when you heat up the bottle, the air um, it expands and it drives the water out the bottom and it causes issues so then you have to cover it with a cloth or put it on the inside of a hive blah 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 but they didn't have those problems because they just poured it right onto the dish and they were good to go skeps are one of those things that is just a romantic idea and i encourage you guys to all try some skeps one time um, and, and learn the lessons from the skeps and apply them to the other types of hives that you use. I really believe that we have lost something here in Canada and the United States with the factoryization of, of bees and it would really be nice to be able to go back to a time where you know we don't have to have the factory type um, beekeeping happening um, and we could go back to a personal relationship with our bees and go back to skeps I mean it would be so cool I really enjoy them and, and I, I hope that I've been able to express that to you guys and, and give you guys uh, um, some way to 
to look at that and, uh, and, and maybe dream <laughs> of doing it yourself. Um, one of the uh, downfalls of, of a skep, like what I had been talking about before, is that you do need to um, have a roof over top of these. So a lot of times they build stands and they raise the, the skep about two to three feet off the ground. Um, they sometimes put um, cones around the legs so that it limits mice from crawling up the leg. So it's an, it's an upside down cone that just uh, um, fits around the legs and, and makes it so mice and insects don't necessarily crawl up there. And a lot of times what they'll do is they'll coat that bottom part with axle grease and it makes it so that the ants can't crawl up there. It makes it so that the mice don't want to crawl up there. And it essentially guards your skep because your skep is going to be vulnerable to mice. It's going to be vulnerable to ants. And you need, you need to, to raise it up. And then um, uh, I would encourage you to have something underneath this skep so not sitting on the wood because if it's sitting on the wood they will um, coat the wood with propolis and it'll be difficult to pull the skep up and off of the wood so please use some sort of a base to the skep have it lifted up and then of course they usually have four posts going up um, just a little bit above where the skep and uh, the cap stop and uh, they have kind of a slanted roof so if it snows on it it sloughs off to the side doesn't get the skep wet and uh, it keeps the skep from getting the majority of rain on it and uh, you know then then you're able to do cute little things like uh, uh, hanging your uh, would-be um, tubes or your your cutter bee tubes there you know just kind of making a nice little bee station um, on the underneath part you can make kind of like a drawer that is underneath the uh, the skeps and you can pull out the drawer and, and in the drawer you can have all your beekeeping equipment and that kind of stuff so you can make it as awesome as you want it to be um, but uh, having that in your garden is just it just really is makes it um, kind of old-timey kind of really nice so I'd encourage you guys to to try it one time anyways um, that concludes our uh, our podcast for today I really appreciate you guys coming and listening to this um, on your platforms that you're listening to me uh, if you think I deserve it, give me a thumbs up or um, a five star, whatever you guys uh, feel. Um, it helps drive people to come in, helps with uh, um, um, the amount of people that we get to, to teach and, and share our community with. Uh, also, if you have any questions or suggestions or you just want to chat about bees, go ahead and send me uh, an email. 
It's fatbeehoneyranch at gmail.com. That's uh, my business that I that I do. And uh, I really hope to hear from you guys. And we'll have a great day.